Thank you for coming to the podcast. Episode 47 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by the best mouthguard on the market. I'm talking about Sisu Mouthguard. You could talk, you could breathe, you could drink, all with the mouthguard up in your mouth. Head on over to SISUGuard.com. We have a great show for you this week. We have two UFC debutantes. Is that the right word, Gumby, for two people making their debut? I'm good with that one. Okay, two UFC debutantes from Rufus Sport, Gerald Merchart, and the pride of Scotland, Paul Craig. His nickname is the Bear Jew. We'll talk to him about that. And I would be remiss not to mention our other great sponsor, Datsusara, fight gear made entirely out of hemp, super strong, super durable, and good for Mother Earth. Head on over to dsgear.com, enter in promo code TOPTURTLE, get yourself a nice little discount. Datsusara and Sisu Mouthguards brings you episode 47 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We are rolling. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Gumby, one of the things I love about our podcast is we don't meander on and on or lollygag or horse around. We talk about nothing but MMA, what the fans want to hear. So what do you say we get right into some news? Because I'll tell you something, there was a fuck ton of news this week yeah it's the good stuff too uh exciting news a lot of it uh i don't know is this really exciting here's the first thing i want to start with there's another fighters association this one headlined by ex bellator promoter bjorn revney but it also has five very big names attached to it you have gsp who claims he's a free agent but the ufc claims he isn't a free agent and some might say the greatest of all time you have ex heavyweight champ kane velasquez you have tim kennedy and donald cerrone and you have ex bantamweight champ tj dillashaw they had a very big conference call it's been spoken about a lot but i did want to talk to you about it gumby uh fighters association five fighters are attached to it what is their mission no one really knows yet what is their leverage they don't seem to have any yet but it's there and they have t-shirts yeah so uh, the t-shirts kind of that, that, that got me off guard but you're right those t-shirts kind of funny right um but no i think that is exciting in a sense um because it's like the first time we've ever had a fighters association um i'm sorry to cut you off it's not the first time it's the third time no but it's the first time we've had one with anybody backing it anybody uh, real backing it right okay like, I, I mean we've had them before um you know the most real one before was uh the one the what was the mma professional oh uh, i was gonna say the professional oh, fighters, professional fighters pfa with yep. scott boris's brother yep in in Leslie Smith came on. Uh, she was a she, you might remember her from fighting cyborg. She was on board with that. She was probably like the biggest name attached to that association, and she came out with all of the like dirty dealings of it and how she was like really upset with it by the end of it. So like this is the first time you have a bunch of people who are willing to tie their name to something that have a lot to lose, right? Because Leslie Smith had some to lose. These guys have tons to lose, right? Like, you know, what if the UFC blackballed Cain Velazquez while he was still under contract? It seems like these guys are somebody who does have some bit of leverage and also have a lot to lose. So to me, that is exciting. And, you know, they're talking about looking for, you know, they talked a little bit on the conference about getting uh, a fair revenue split. Because, you know, NFL, NBA, MLB, whatever sport you watch has about a 50-50 split. And, and they claimed, and I, I have no idea whether or not their figures are correct, that they're working around an 8% with the fighters. Um, and I'd be interested to see what the, the data is behind that. So I am excited about it. 
Okay. I mean, here's the way I look at it. I mean, I agree. In I, I'm pro-association, pro-union. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm all for the fighters getting their share of the pie. I guess this is what maybe rubbed me a little bit the wrong way about this particular instance. It was a lot of hoopla, a lot of fanfare. Bjorn Rebney comes off as a... Uh, ex failed promoter with an axe to grind because we know he's had his problems with the UFC. I think putting him as the figurehead of it sets off the wrong precedent. Like they're out to hurt the UFC and not gain a better slice of the pie for the fighters, which is what the uh, main intention should be of a fighters association. You mentioned that these guys have a lot to lose, and yes, they are big names, and I get that. But I just want to, you know, reality being reality. Uh, Tim Kennedy and Donald Cerrone have never headlined a pay-per-view. TJ Dillashaw, the pay-per-views he's headlined did next to no business. Demetrius Johnson levels. Uh, GSP is on the outs and probably never going to fight again. So really what we're talking about right now, as far as just right now, and I get this was just a first step, but really what we're talking about is Cain Velasquez. And guess what? He has a fight in two weeks. Yep. And he gets injured all the time. So what's the, like, if these five guys, if the UFC chose to somehow shut this down tomorrow and these five guys were blackballed, the UFC is going to go on. Yeah, I, I do agree with that, but I, I do think having those names there gives them some credit. However, I do want to you know backtrack just a second to something you said before, and that's the feeling that you get of a Bjorn Rebney run uh, association is a bad taste, right? Uh, I don't like the sound of that. When I heard he was in charge of it, uh, you're right. First of all, it rubs you the wrong way because it seems like it's trying to be punitive to the UFC. It doesn't sound like it's trying to work with it, which is a recipe for disaster. That's never going to work. And then the second piece of it that I also felt bad about is this is the same Bjorn Rebney who is in charge of an organization, owned it, started it, founded it, that in its heyday was paying fighters to debut on the card $700. Mm-hmm. You know, so so like while he's coming off as like the savior and this guy who's trying to get everybody a big piece of the pie, he was the man before he was fighting the man. You know what I mean? He was doing far more injustice than the UFC is right now, paying guys to debut at 8 and 8 or 10 and 10 when he was debuting at 700. You know, so I, while I, I think that it's a step in the right direction and that something needs to happen at some point in time, he, you're right about that. He does leave a bad taste in my mouth. I think he was the wrong person to spirit it. Again, I'm not against it. I just I think for the way they came off yesterday, industry-changing announcement, and I get you have to be boisterous to get attention and everything else. you got to have T-shirts, too. And you have to have those T-shirts. <laughs> Custom Inc. I'm sure that's where they went. Two weeks delivery. Um, they're not even a sponsor. I just plugged them. But, uh, you know, it's just like, okay, you know, there's not really any leverage there yet, but I do like it as a first step. I think the names are great. Tim Kennedy, we're obviously big fans of. He's very outspoken, served our country. Wonderful person to have spearheaded. GSP, he's my favorite fighter of all time. Of course I'm a GSP fan. And I agree with a lot of the things he said. But again, this is going to be a really tough hill to climb because you're talking about getting 500 fighters on the same page from around the world, different languages. The UFC barely gets by drug testing all these guys around the world. You're going to get all of them to act as one. 
It's tough, man. Well, and, and, and some people have already come out and spoke against it. Uh, you know, I didn't read too much into it, but I know Sam Elvey has said in the past that he's not super pro-union and he loves the Reebok deal and things like that. I've so, heard, yeah, there have been some fighters who have said they like negotiating their own contracts. They don't need a group uh, to negotiate. Yep. Now, I've also just free-floating idea here. You know, people talk about the pay um, and what the starting is. I think now they're up, what, 12 to show, 12 to win for a new yeah, for, fighter. for a new fighter. 12 and 12. Part. Yeah. Now, I think I've read somewhere, you know, they could do away with the performance bonuses because they're going to give away at every show, even ones with tiny gates, like, you know, 6,000 people in uh, rural, you know, Mississippi or whatever. Uh, they get $250,000 of bonus money. On some of those smaller shows, maybe they just do away with the bonus money and just give everyone, you know, $5,000 more in the show and the win. It, it, that's a solution. Yeah, it's certainly a possibility. But I always said, I always point to the UFC and say the incentive is there with those performance bonuses for people to perform well. Sometimes we get the sense that, you know, the baseball player making millions of dollars per year, you pay money for a game to go see him in mid-July. You know, is he really... Yeah, all he's the... showboating it and, and taking a break. Yeah, and he's hung over Daryl Strawberry style. <laughs> Uh, anyway, you know, th this will be talked about a lot. It was a first step. Again, to me, my big takeaway, Bjorn Rebney was not the person to spearhead. I think he should have been nowhere near there. I think, you know, and here's another thing. It was the same thing with Boris and that PFA. Anyone who comes along and says they're like and acts as this like savior figure, it already becomes disingenuous. I think yesterday should have been nothing but the five fighters. I think that would have been more impactful. Rebney really took me out of the moment, I think. Well, and I, I think, too, that it, it just seems so much more powerful when it seems fighter led because there's nothing for them to gain. What does Bjorn have to gain? Well, he's been out of the MMA game for for two years it's a chance for him to put his name back out there and make some money again you know what i mean so like this is he has got a lot to gain if it was just fighters you would know what they had to gain uh we'll move on now the other big news item of the week is connor got an official california state boxing license also applied for one in nevada probably won't get it because he still has the unpaid fine from the water bottle throwing <laughs> license and the next speculation will be that i'll apply for one in new york your thoughts um yeah I think it's it's mostly a PR tactic. You got to remember, Connor just got done after becoming a two fight champion, saying he's going to be away for how many months? Uh, Till May because his so, girlfriend is so prego. Seven months. So his his girlfriend's pregnant. He's going to be away for half a year. You know he's a master gamesman, and he needs to find ways to constantly keep his name out there. This is a first step in us talking about this for the next six months, right? We're not going to stop talking or speculating that he's going to have a boxing match for the next six months. And he already said he's not fighting for six months. He's not going to fight MMA. He's not going to box for the next six months because he wants to be at D's side. So, you know, this is a really smart move on his part because it looks like he's applying pressure to the UFC, but I don't think he has any avenue to get a boxing match. Well, I, I agree with you, and I think it's well said, and I don't think much more needs to be said because what you said makes a lot of sense. It keeps his name out there. He's not fighting for six months, and what I would like to point people to, because I like giving credit where credit is due, is Josh Nash of Bloody Elbow wrote a phenomenal piece outlining how Connor could box, and obviously it's a lot of litigation, and you kind of have to play a game of chess and poker uh, and chicken, but there is a way, and step one was at least obtain the boxing license, and then in short summary, 
basically use the Ali Act to protect yourself and say that the UFC trying to block you violates the Ali Act, which if you are a boxer, I guess it technically does. But again, we're getting into some heavy legal jargon, and it would depend on how a judge and perhaps jury would... uh, you know, would interpret that. So all being said, I would encourage people to check out that article. And while this was step one, I don't really think we need to dive too deep into it until we see step two. Yeah. And I don't think we're going to see it, uh, just from a personal standpoint. So there you go. Here's the other big news of the week, Gumby. Uh, and we always try to keep our fight news under 15 minutes or less, or the podcast is free. So wrapping up here, John Jones went on the Joe Rogan podcast and admitted that he used to get blackout drunk the week of his fights. And the only fight he didn't do it was for uh, Ovin St. Prue, which he said was my worst performance ever. So John Jones ties getting blackout drunk the week of fights to good performances. And he also did a little psychoanalyzing of himself and said he would do it so he would have an excuse to blame for a potential loss. What do you think? Uh, it- I mean, that's that's some crazy stuff there for him to be thinking about. Um, it also sounds like somebody else who was formerly the light heavyweight champion of the world, too. Who else used to get blackout drunk sometimes the night of a fight? Chuck Liddell. Chuck Liddell. So, uh, Chuck Liddell, I mean, the, the comparisons are there. Whether or not that's why Chuck Liddell did it or because Chuck Liddell was like the king of having a good time uh, is neither here nor there. But the, the thought that we had such a dominant champion twice in maybe one of the toughest divisions to become the champion, in both times they were making terrible decisions like that. I mean, all I can think of is... God, can, can you imagine having that much potential in, in doing things against it? It's just shocking to somebody who doesn't have that kind of potential. You know, we had heard the rumor back in 2013 when Gus took him to the deepest waters of his career in that five-round war that he had gone out and partied the night before or two nights before, and that was the reason for the bad performance, and he took Gus lightly. Um, and now, you know, we have him actually admitting that he did this for all his fights. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm floored. The word that comes to mind is flabbergasted because he was killing, killing the game. Yeah. You know, the Gus fight, notwithstanding the fact that he was able to go out and do that. I don't know. I mean, we all know John Jones is an incredible athlete, but I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, just one of the most shocking things I've heard, uh, just knowing that he was that dominant. I'm having trouble stringing words together right now. I'm having a bad podcast performance. I think I last had a drink on Saturday. I'm still (laughs) feeling the effects from it. GSP would not be impressed with your performance. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so that wraps up Fight News. I want to play for our fans uh, our interview for the week. We got a chance to catch up with Gerald Merchart, and he's making his UFC debut, but this guy is a veteran of the game, over 30 fights, over 20 wins, pro fights, that is, people. He trains at a Rufus Sport, very well-spoken guy. I think this guy kind of has like a little bit of a star quality about him, and we'll play you that interview right now, but I want to tell you who brought you this interview, and that would be Datsusara. It's a fight gear company made entirely from hemp. If you care at all about Mother Earth, you're going to want to try fight gear made from hemp it's obviously the ultimate natural fiber it helps kill the growth of fungi fungi and bacteria up to and including staff so if you are on the mats like myself or gumby you're going to want to get hemp gear uh in the mix and i will tell you that i got their shorts and they are freaking awesome very durable uh sweat resistant and uh, I just can't say enough good things about it. Wouldn't be recommending it to you if I didn't use it myself. Check them out at dsgear.com. 
enter the promo code Top Turtle, get yourself a nice little discount. Datsusara brings you our interview with Gerald Merchart. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we have the pleasure of talking to Gerald Merchart, who fights Joe Giliotti at Fight Night Albany on December 9th. So let's get right into it, Gerald. Uh, talk a little bit about when you finally got the call from the UFC. You know, you're, you're a professional, uh, well over 20 fights. Uh, what was that feeling like? Uh, it was great. I mean, you know, it's a call I've been waiting for for almost 10 years. So when it finally happened, I was like, knocking, you know, finally started actually putting down fighters, my profession on my resume. So I'm beyond excited. Absolutely. And a lot of fighters worry about, uh, you know, octagon jitters and things like that. Um, obviously you're much more experienced than the average, uh, UFC rookie, so to speak. Um, do you still worry about that kind of stuff being in a big show for the first time? Uh, I haven't really, to be honest. I mean, I've been to a UFC event before and been backstage and stuff, so I think that helps. And, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm still doing the exact same thing. You know, the setting will be a little bit different, but, uh, you know, it's going to be like any other fight once the, the door closes and they sound that horn when we start. It's just me and him in there, so, you know, the fight's a fight. Absolutely. And and do you think, uh, you know, obviously having, you know, lots of teammates in the UFC, like you said, being backstage, uh, talk a little bit about how, uh, you know, having so many UFC trained uh, teammates helps you mentally for your debut. I mean, it helps a lot. You know, I have a lot of guys, like you said, I train with in the UFC or have been in the UFC and, you know, a lot of them are pretty close to my weight class. So, yeah, I can kind of gauge myself by, you know, going with them sometimes, you know, gauge the mentality. And when you got guys like that saying, like, hey, man, you should be there, you know, if nothing else, it's an affirmation that I do, in fact, have the skill set and have the ability to be on the big stage. And now I can finally go out there and show everybody. Absolutely. And so let's talk about uh, your your actual opponent here. You're fighting Joe Giliotti, who's got uh, – he's made his – uh, Octagon debut earlier this year. Uh, most of his wins over the course of his career are by submission. Yours as well, uh, mostly by submission. Uh, do you see this as a, a match that is for sure going to the ground, or do you uh, plan on testing his stand-up as well? I mean, it'll go to the ground if I decide I want it to go to the ground. But, um, you know, he's not, I would say, is a submission specialist. I've watched his fights. You know he's not uh, he's not a high level jujitsu player, and he does not apply jujitsu in his fights at a high level either. He's kind of a you know I got you down, so let me grab this and squeeze as hard as I can kind of guy. Which you know nothing wrong with that, but I have trained with plenty of good you know ground guys in my day, uh, good wrestlers that transitioned well into jujitsu, and it's just you know you can catch lower-level guys or mid-level guys like that, but it's not going to catch me. And, you know, as far as his wrestling, I don't see that being a big issue. You know, I train with some of the better grapplers and wrestlers in the sport. So, you know, if, I, if I'm if i training with Tyron Woodley and Ben Askren and I can stay off my back for even half a round, there's no way in hell this kid's going to take me down. Very well said. Um, so, uh, you know... I- 
obviously you're not looking past Joe Giuliani. There's a, you know, a big task in front of you there, but uh, you know, looking forward in the, the division that you're in, is there any, uh, you know, there's one name in that division that you've already faced twice, right? You fought Sam Alvey twice in your life, one win, one loss. Uh, he took a decision off you. You took a submission from him, only person to submit Sam Alvey. Is there any desire to get back in the cage with Sam Alvey with all of that uh, past history? Uh, at this point, not really. I mean, you know, the fight doesn't make sense right now. Even, you know, once I go in there and dust this kid up, the fight still doesn't really make sense. He's been in there a little bit, had a few, you know, more than a few fights. He's kind of their guy they throw out there. You know, he'll mix it up with anyone, you know, just as any of us will. But, you know, he goes out there and he throws big. You know, I'd, I'd like to go set my sights a little bit higher than that, you know, get out there and try to climb up the ladder as fast as I can. Um, I mentioned this before in a couple of different interviews because obviously everyone wants to ask about that. And, you know, it's one of those things where if the fight comes up, where that's, you know, the guy I got to face to get to that next step, which I could very well see happening, then at that time, you know, by all means, uh, I'm more than down to, you know, fight him one more time. But, uh, you know, at this point, I just don't think it's a fight that makes any real sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, I- I'm curious to get your take as well. Obviously, the middleweight division, um, you know, Anderson Silva had his reign, and then uh, the title sort of bounced around now. Uh, you know, Weidman had it for a couple of years, lost it to Rockhold. Rockhold never defended the belt, lost it to Bisping. Bisping feels like the most beatable champion uh, in a while. But, you know, then again, he defended it against Dan Henderson. What's your take, uh, veteran of the fight game? What do you make of the top of the middleweight division in the UFC right now? Is it the strongest it's been in a while? Because there are a lot of, you know, big names at the top. Or is it the weakest it's been in a while? Um, I mean, it depends on how you look at it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people will hear me say this and think, oh, well, who the hell is that guy? But you know what? You ask my opinion, so I'm going to give it to you. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. I see, I see a lot of top-level fighters, but I see a lot of top-level fighters with big gaps in their game for all of them. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like Weidman just got in there and got roughed up by Yoel Romero. You know, his stand-up, in my opinion, leaves something to be lacking, and everyone will say, oh, well, he beat Anderson Silva twice on the feet. You know, the first time Anderson made a dumb mistake, he was getting the low kick checked all night and then decided to keep going at it, being stubborn. That's on him. And then he hit that pullback twice. You can't pull back on a guy twice like that. You got nowhere to go. He got clipped. Well, then we see him fight Yoel Romero, who another guy, you know, good, really explosive, really strong, uh, good wrestling, decent control on top. Stand up, he just throws heavy. You know, he's just a strong guy. I, I've watched his highlights. He gets takes clean head kicks. You know, the guy's got no neck, so I'm sure it's really <laughs> hard to knock him out. But it's one of those things where if you got good enough, good enough on the feet, and you can, you know, you understand how to defend these strikes. You can stick and move all night long, and eventually either catch him in something or, you know, outpoint him if you have to. Um, and Luke Rockhold, he just got exposed. He has that lean back on everybody, and everyone just lets him walk away. You know, Bisbing decided, hey, you're not going to walk away from me like that. I'll just keep chasing when I see you lean and, you know, knock him out cold. Uh, and like you said, Bisbing seems like the most beatable. I honestly think he's one of the more well-rounded middleweights, but he's also very prone to getting caught upright 
and you know, like he fought Dan Henderson, he got hit with the same big right hand again. Mm-hmm. Like you know, that's what he's going to throw at you. That's like how he won last time. <laughs> he's got one thing other than wrestling he does really well. Don't let him do that, and you let him hit you with it not once, but I think two or three times. Like how, the whole game plan should have been. Jab your ass off, get out of the way, throw combos, and for the love, of, and I'm sure it was, don't get hit with the right hand. And he still got hit with it. And, you know, Dan Henderson, always going to be a tough fighter. Like, even, you know, well after his time, he'll be 60, he'd still be a dangerous fight for someone because, you know, power's your last thing to go. He throws hard. But he's not the fastest guy in the world. Just don't let him hit you. You know, that, so that's, I'm looking at the division, and, you know, all these guys, Really, really good fighters. Take nothing away from them. Obviously, they're world-class. And the best organization you know, in the world, in my opinion, at the top of the heap, you know, they're all tough fights, but they all have big gaps. Yeah, I, I think that's excellent analysis. And, you know, your opinion's very valid. Uh, so I want to get your uh, opinion as well on some of your teammates. Uh, Tyron Woodley just went through a war with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Was that the right decision in your mind? I'm sure you watched the fight. Did you have Woodley winning it? Did you have Wonderboy winning it? What did you think of that decision? Uh, I mean, of course, I'm a little biased. I, <laughs> of course. I had Tyron winning it. You know, of course. I had Tyron winning it by a very close margin. Um, mm-hmm. I think he did a lot of things that, you know, I could see why the judges might lean more towards Wonderboy. Again, you know, I don't think he won it all but you know some of the some of the times backing up um to the cage and like he defended you know pretty much all the kicks so you know as a striker looking at that it's like okay he threw all these kicks that's supposed to be his best thing and tyron shut him down with the kicks he even got a takedown off the kick but and again i don't know how you know i don't know the judges personally who knows what they're thinking but you know i could see how backing up and, you know, a guy kicking at you, even if you're blocking it, you know, unless you return back every single time, I could see how some people would see that and be like, oh, well, he's losing, especially if you're not a more experienced striker. It's like, okay, he's throwing those kicks, but he's getting shut down. So it's like, where do you go with that? And, you know, again, my biggest thing is if you're going, well, two things. First of all, everyone says, oh, MMA is not boxing. you got to, you know, score the fight differently. Well, in that case, Tyron almost finished the fight a couple times, and he had the more dominant position, so I think he wins it that way. Second thing is we still have a 10-point must system from boxing, and again, MMA is not boxing, but if you're going to use that 10-point must system, he got a knockdown. That should be a 10-8 round. Mm. So even there, if it's a close fight, you know, and not just a knockdown, but, you know, almost put him to sleep, you know, credit to Wonderboy for coming back tonight because, you know, I thought the guy died at first. (laughs) He mauled him and mauled him. He, you know, I thought his head was going to pop off when he had that guillotine. It's like, that's, that to me is a 10-8 round. Like, I don't care that he got on top the last 10 seconds. Not to mention he missed every single punch from the top, which, you know, just shows how messed up he was because, you know, to miss, one punch when you're on top of somebody, all right, I get that, but you miss every single punch while you're on top of someone, like, clearly you got your shit rocked. So, you know, that that to me, that's the 10-8 round. That makes the fight go to Tyron. Yeah, I, it's it's maddening sometimes with the decisions. You know, one of the judges gave Woodley a 10-8 first round, but 
to me, you know, from where I sit and just to the points that you just made, Woodley not only rocked him, knocked him down, nearly finished him with his fists, but he locked in that guillotine and almost finished him. If there was any round that was going to be a 10-8, it would be that uh, fourth one. But not one judge gave him a 10-8 fourth round. So the the decisions could be maddening sometimes. Um you know, and I guess it's all perspective. Uh, moving on to other Rufus Sport uh, fighters, uh, you have Anthony Pettis challenging for the now interim 145-pound title. Uh, is is 145 where you think he he sits for the rest of his career? I've heard him recently say he still has his eye on 155, but what w- what's your thinking on that? Is he more a natural 145 or a 155er? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's always harder to cut weight the older you get. And, you know, not saying he's old or anything, but, you know, he's a, he's definitely at the top end of 45. Yeah. So yeah, he had a couple, couple rough fights at 55. He had the opportunity at 45. It makes sense to go there. You know what I mean? So you got to go, go where the belt is, go where the money is. So I, I completely understand the change there. Um, you know, he's working with a, another new nutritionist. Weight's coming off good. Uh, you know, I'm sure it'll be one of those things where he gets through this camp, see how he feels, kind of look at it, look at it after, and, you know, all that kind of thing. So if he's comfortable at it, I think he'll stay. You know, once he gets that belt uh, next Saturday and starts, maybe rattles off a few wins, maybe he'll decide to move up then. But, uh, you know, that's something we'll have to kind of wait and see, you know, for his whole career. Uh, I don't know if he'd stay there for the for the whole career, maybe the last couple of fights at 55, but he's got a lot of fight left in him, so, you know, time will tell. Absolutely, and and we've always been massive Anthony Pettis fans on this show. I've long said, just from a Styles matchup perspective, him versus Connor is a fight I'm very interested in seeing, uh, you know, take place at, at this point, 55, because I don't think Connor would ever go back down to 45. Um uh, and then I'm not sure how much time you've had to train with them, but we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't ask you a CM Punk question. Uh, you know, obviously the first fight didn't go the way you wanted. Uh, maybe not to much of a shock considering the background he's coming from. But, uh, you know, there has been speculation of another UFC fight as a teammate. You know, is there something you see that we don't see? Uh, would you like to see him, you know, get in the UFC again? Or as, as a friend and teammate, would you advise maybe he goes to a, a smaller league first? What's your opinion on that? Uh, I mean, my opinion is, hell, if you can fight in the UFC, fight in the friggin' UFC. You know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> especially if you're not going to, you know, he doesn't, well, this is the thing. He doesn't have to fight. He doesn't need to make any money. He can. The guy can pretty much do what he wants, you know. So if you're gonna do something and you have the chance to do it, you know why not do it at the biggest stage? So that's. I would say you know if you get another chance, take full advantage of it. Yeah, fair enough. Absolutely. Uh, and last question here, wrapping up, because I know we kept you a couple more minutes than we promised, but um, you know, you're know, you a very well-spoken guy. Uh, curious, because it's on, it's in the news on everyone's mind, big announcement yesterday uh, with the Fighters Association, uh, the third one to pop up, this one obviously being headlined by GSP, Cain uh, Velasquez. Now, you know, I'm not looking for some sort of uh, clickbait headline from you out of this. It's your first fight in the UFC. I'm sure you're happy to get there. But just as a professional fighter, someone with over 20 fights on your career, 
is is this a good thing for the sport? Are are you pro uh, association or union, or are you just kind of putting your head down and going about your business and and seeing where the chips fall with all of that? I mean, I don't I don't think a union is a bad thing. I think if they can work it out, you know how they've been comparing it to the the NBA and NFL and things like that. I think it can be honestly mutually beneficial. You know, it'll you'll get the best best talent you can get and you know i think you'll see improved production on both sides but like you said right now it's the very first you know they haven't done it yet this is like the, what, the third time you said they're trying to do this mm-hmm. so for now you know, i'll be keeping my head down and kind of see see what happens but like i said i'm i'm not opposed to it but i'm definitely going to be wary of how everything goes and just kind of see where the chips fall Absolutely. And so, Gerald, we, we thank you very much for giving us the time. I know we kept you a little late, um, but as Dave said, super well-spoken, super fun to talk to. Uh, for those of you looking to catch him, Gerald Merchart farts at uh, UFC Fight Night Albany on December 9th against Joe Giliotti. Thanks again for the time, Gerald, and the best of luck to you. Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. All right, there you have it, Gumby. Gerald Merchart. Yeah, uh, super, super knowledgeable guy. I, I love that even though uh, you know he's, he's new to the division, even though he's 32 professional fights, he had a take on a lot of the top guys. That, you, know, you can already tell he's the kind of guy who's got his eye on the top of the division and is breaking people down in a very cerebral way. So that, just awesome to see from a prospect like him. I like it. Uh, so we are going to transition now to this weekend's uh, card. You have the culmination of the ultimate fight uh tournament of champions uh it was a ultimate fighter dedicated to the flyweights the winner would get a shot at the pound for pound best fighter in the world according to some demetrius mighty mouse johnson the unbeatable champion uh and it's rather ironic gumby because uh you know the ufc did a great job with the show i really enjoyed the season i have to admit and i've been kind of down on the ultimate fighter recently you know the drama in the house was kind of kept to a limit at least the manufactured kind of bullshit drama i really like their use of the uh home home recorder footage uh, and you know, the fights were all pretty good, especially the first round fights. And I think the UFC did a really good job of getting an influx of talent into what is kind of a weak division. Now, here's the one thing I will say about it. And I want to get your opinion just on this before we talk about the fight itself. Is it kind of a letdown that the UFC went out of their way all over the world to bring in champions from every organization for someone new, new blood, to finally fight Demetrius Johnson after everyone has fallen victim to him? And the guy that ends up winning it was someone who was already in the UFC and went out on a three-fight losing streak. Now, I get that he did great in the tournament and he did great getting three wins to get back in on the UFC's radar, but is this kind of a letdown? It is a little bit of a letdown. You got to remember that three fight losing streak, though, and who it's to, right? He lost to Joseph Benavidez. Okay. Pretty legitimate dude to lose to right there. He lost to, um, he lost to Zach Markovsky and he lost to Ali Bogotinov. Two guys who fought for the UFC title and one guy who's been razor close to getting to the UFC title. His only other loss in the UFC was to John Dodson, who fought twice for the title. So, I mean, yeah, he's got some losses on his record, uh, especially in the UFC, but they're, they're the top-level guys. Is it disappointing that it wound up being a UFC vet? A little bit. But he is on a three-fight win streak. He does look improved. 
and to me, he's the best guy in that house. Absolutely. And, you know, props to him. He, you know, he deserves it. He was the best guy in the house, the most well-rounded. I think he showed a lot of heart, a lot of cardio. Uh, I just think the, the intention of the show was not to be a, a comeback story, but rather someone new that we haven't seen to finally face this unbeatable champion. And really what we're getting is a guy who, yeah, I get it. He lost to tough guys, but he lost to guys who all got absolutely slaughtered by the champion. Yeah, but, but you could say that about anybody, right? Like, who's got good records against the people who got slaughtered by the champion? I mean, the, the champ is beating all of the best guys in the world. So, I, I mean, the, it would stand to reason that those guys have beaten up some other dudes. So, yeah, while, while I'm a little bit disappointed that if, if we play MMA math, it looks like he's about to lose this one badly. I will say that his style, if, if we're going to kick into the fight here a little bit, his style is weird. You know, he's got a lot of weird jerky head movement. His grappling is not conventional by any BJJ or sub-grappling standards. He seems to pull weird stuff out of everywhere. I think he's actually probably one of the tougher matchups for Mighty Mouse just because of his unconventional nature. Yeah, I mean, there might be something to that. I guess, uh, you know, this will be the last thing I'll say on it. I just think the point of the show was not to bring someone back that we've already seen. It was to bring someone new to the forefront. And it so to me, it didn't accomplish that. Now, that being said, I'm with you. He's got a wacky style. He's a wacky freaking dude. Yeah, he's, it, he will come out with some flying craziness off the top of this. I, I saw him fight John Dodson in New Jersey. I, I want to say it was like four or five years ago. And he started the fight with a cartwheel. Cap. I was just going to that's what I was thinking in my head. Yeah. So I don't know. Anyway, bottom line is Demetrius Johnson, the minus 1000 favorite Tim Elliott, the plus 650 dog. Sounds like you're somewhat bullish on Tim Elliott at uh, such good odds. So I thought I was bullish on it when I changed Check the odds this morning, and and his odds have gone increasingly down. He was starting off at about plus seven fifty, which is seven and a half to one. You know, might be worth throwing down ten bucks, but six hundred, and he's slowly declining. I think people are also bullish on him. At this point, I'm I'm thinking lay off on him. Okay, so because Demetrius is going to win this fight. Yes, I was just going to say your actual prediction. Forget about that because Demetrius wins this fight and he probably wins it with his striking. Because despite Tim Elliott's good head movement, Mighty Mouse has a surprising amount of power and his hands are faster than Elliott's head is. I mean, what he did to Henry Cejudo back in April, by the way, uh, just that clinch work. Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. I, yeah, I have Mighty Mouse by by a landslide here. The co-main event that I did want to talk to you about, Gumby, you have the number one and number two ranked uh, flyweights in the world. You have Joseph Benavidez facing Henry Cejudo. Both men have losses to Demetrius Johnson. Uh, on their record, uh, Benavidez has always been at the top of the division, kind of feels like the gatekeeper here, somewhat of the Phil Mickelson of the flyweight division, coming off uh, a win over Zach Makovsky. Cejudo coming off the loss to Johnson. Uh, who you got here, Gumby? Uh, I think I'm going with Benavidez. Just to me, in my head, when I'm thinking about how Cejudo wins this fight, he's got to win it by taking him down and working off the top game. I don't think he's going to outstrike Benavidez. Uh, and to me, I, I just imagine with all of those shots that he's probably going to have to take, because first of all, Benavidez will stuff a bunch of them. And second of all, he'll get back up. Even if he does go down the amount of shots he's going to take, Joseph Benavidez has a very high probability of either clipping him on the way in or submitting him with that guillotine that he's so damn good at. 
I, I agree with you 100%. You could get uh, Cejudo as a plus 170 dog, however. If you're a big Cejudo fan, Benavidez, the minus 200 favorite. I'm going to rapid fire through a couple of other fights. I just want to get your quick opinion on Gumby. Ian Kutaleba, the minus 230 favorite, facing Jared Cannonier, plus 190 dog. Did I say his last name? Cannonier, right? yeah. And, and he's, he's pretty exciting coming down from heavyweight cannoneer, but I'm really bullish on Ian Kudalaba right now. A uh, guy from Moldova gave a hell of a fight to Misha Serkinov, who you also know that I'm really high on. He's one of the few guys at light heavyweight who uh, I think is a really interesting prospect to probably keep an eye on. And then uh, you have one of our favorites, Rob Font, uh, the minus 270 favorite, taking on Matt Schnell, plus 230 as a dog. So Matt Schnell is the only guy who did get a fight off of the show right away. Uh, I think Pantoja versus Shelton was coming later if you watch The Ultimate Fighter. So Schnell is, is outsized here. That's the problem. He is a clean 125-er. Font's a little bit bigger than that. Font hits like a truck. If Schnell can get him to the ground, it'll be interesting, but I- I'm going Font KO early. Agreed, agreed. And I would be remiss and you know i would not let us leave the show without talking about our boy ryan hall mr 50 50 finally fighting after that ultimate fighter win in that snoozer of a fight against connor's bff Art- artem lobov but we have ryan hall facing gray maynard the veteran uh vegas doesn't even know what to make of this fight maynard the minus 115 you get maynard at minus 115 or you get hall minus 105 who do you have so yeah it, it's a tough one to make heads and tails on uh, i will just backtrack a little bit and saying ryan hall not at fault for that fight being boring uh lobov just let him chill on his back I think I'm going Ryan Hall here. At this point in time, Maynard's kind of at the tail end of his career. Uh, he's going to have to defend sub-attempts for three rounds because I don't imagine him knocking out Hall. And, and I think Hall's uh, striking has probably gotten better since then. I know he works at Upstate Karate with uh, Stephen Thompson sometimes. So I would imagine he's got a, a bunch of new wrinkles since the last time we've seen him. And his submission game needs no new wrinkles. It's filthy. All right. Well, the main card is on FS1 this Saturday night, December 3rd. Uh, The prelims are also on FS1, and the early prelims are on Fight Pass. Uh, Not a bad card for uh, a rando Saturday night. Gumby, I want to transition now. We got a chance to catch up with another debutante UFC fighter. I'm talking about Paul the Bear Jew Craig. Yes, we did talk to him about that nickname. He's coming out of Scotland. He's a light heavyweight prospect and someone to very much keep an eye on 8-0 as a pro. Of course, this interview is brought to you by Datsusara. Hemp gear, hemp fight gear, hemp backpacks. You're going to want to head on over to dsgear.com. Check out what they're all about. I'll tell you right now that if you care about Mother Earth, you should be using hemp products. And if you're a fighter, you're going to want to check out their fight gear. I roll in their shorts. They're absolutely awesome, extremely durable, sweat resistant. Head on over to dsgear.com. Enter in the promo code TOPTURTLE. Get yourself a nice little 5% discount. Datsusara brings you our interview with Paul Craig. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we are lucky enough to talk to Paul the Bear Jew Craig, who fights Luis Henrique da Silva at UFC on Fox 22, December 17th. So, Paul, let's start by talking about that nickname, because I am a big Quentin Tarantino fan. Uh, I'm hoping it's an Inglorious Bastards reference. Uh, is it an Inglorious Bastards reference? And if so, how did it come to be your specific nickname? Um, the, the story is long-winded um but this thing is it stays in the gym only the guys in the gym or in the inner circle of the gym know about this and um, there is a reference to it as the the bear do what you see in the tv 
uh, the the movie, Quentin Tarantino movie, and Glorious Bastards. But there's another uh, wee twist here, and maybe one day I'll come out with it. But uh, currently, I can't. All right, yeah, we can respect that. It's a uh, top secret stuff. So uh, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, you know, your gym and, and where you're from. So we're always really curious when we talk to international fighters uh, about the climate of MMA around the world. So Scotland obviously hasn't had too many UFC fighters, uh, Jojo Calderwood, Robert Whitford. Um, so what's the MMA climate like there? Do people know you when you're walking down the street? I mean, you were a Bama champion, uh, pretty popular in the UK. Do, do they know you well out there? Yeah, it's, it's, there's, it's getting bigger. And we've got Conor McGregor to thank for that. Um, when I in certain circles, I'm known um, in my local area. I'm a bit of a, a bit of a local celebrity. People know who I am. People know what I'm doing. Um, the love I felt for Scotland over the last few days has been incredible. Uh, not even the love for Scotland, but the love from all over the UK. Just people wishing me luck, and they're behind me, and it's a nice feeling. And I hope um, it was the same when all the other Scottish guys got into the UFC. But it's um it's a nice feeling, man. I feel loved. Never felt this in my life. <laughs> That's awesome. Now you, you mentioned the name, the mythical figure that is Conor McGregor. Well, what do you think of his rise out of the UK and into UFC superstardom? Is it something you respect? You try to model yourself after? Is it just too much, you know, personal hype on him? What's your thinking on on Conor's rise to the top of the UFC? Conor McGregor is a salesman. He has sold himself so well. He's done it better than anybody else in the UFC. And I know there's been guys like Chael Sonnen who've done it before him. And then before him, there was other people. There's always going to be somebody. But for some reason, he's just got this ability to to get people to believe that he's actually going to beat them. Now, he was the Cage Warriors champion and he was the two-weight Cage Warriors champion. So he's got the ability. But he's up against some of the best in the world. And he is selling himself as this superstar and it's working for him uh, I, I said this uh, a few days ago I work in high schools and one of the kids had came into me and said to me Paul did you see the Conor McGregor show that's what it referred to as the Conor McGregor show it was the UFC press conference but just McGregor stole the limelight and turned it into his show so he's a great ambassador for MMA right the smack talk I don't really like you don't need to be that kind of guy you know I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to uh, like stand in his hometown, writing pictures up. Hey, uh, what's that guy called? My MMA knowledge is terrible. Want to retire? What's his name? Want to retire the Brazilian. What's his name? Oh, Jose Aldo. Oh, Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo. I can't think of his name. That's how good my MMA knowledge is. <laughs> It'll blow your mind. But um, what? What are you more of a uh, a football and and rugby fan? Um. Yeah, I used to used to play football, watch football for years, used to go to football matches, uh, supported uh, Glasgow Rangers. They were playing today and got beat and for the guys out there it's not like American football, it's uh, soccer. Yeah. So we're not allowed to use our hands unless we're in the goals. <laughs> and, and you've certainly so you said you used to play a little bit of soccer. You had to have been by far the biggest man on the pitch. Well when I was uh, when I was a young lad, I was, but that changes. Uh, that was the reason I used to get picked because I was so big. They just put me in the back line. They would say just <laughs> nail everybody. But it turns out I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Um, <laughs> by the time you're sort of 
uh, you get bigger, you get more clumsier, your feet are this awkward size, um, the smaller guys just run rings around you. So my football career came to an end very, very quickly. Um, but I still loved it, but now I don't have time for it. I don't have time to dedicate to watching the football scores come in, to watch a football team, to support a football team. I'm just so busy with MMA and it's not watching it, it's just training it. Like I don't have time for anything. I train um, three times a day most days. And I hold down a full-time job as well as a family. So it's, it's difficult to find any time for anything else other than MMA. Let's talk a little bit about your jiu-jitsu game, because obviously that size you were talking about has got to be a, a big part of it. You're now a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt at 205 pounds. You're, you're pretty active on the BJJ scene from what we can tell. Um, you know, What are your thoughts on, on how important that is to the 205 division where there aren't a lot of jiu-jitsu aces? Well, see the story how I got into jiu-jitsu, it's quite funny, um, because one of my friends had taken me down to this local gym, um, it was a bit sweaty and smelly as you go in, there was mould in the walls and this kind of thing, it looks like a meat locker, and he brought me down and he says, do you like this, and he, he referred to it as the UFC chokes, come and do the UFC chokes, and I started learning it, and I found out very, very quickly that my legs were like a massive asset, like he could use them to hook people in, pull them in, push them away, create space, so my legs were this massive asset, and then the more and more I learned, it was like this bug I get bit with it, now I've only started this journey like four and a half years ago, that was a full thing, I had not done any martial arts before it, no boxing, no karate, no jiu-jitsu, and I just picked it up and I kind of ran with it, and every, every day I was wanting to learn something new to do with jiu-jitsu. And, and that's... That's certainly a quick rise to a brown belt. Did you feel like moving a brown belt in like four years, uh, competition-wise, it, it was you know on par with with where you felt like you were? Yeah, um, I had. I was a my biggest competition to date was fighting in the Abu Dhabi. Um, What's it called? The IBBJJ, IBJJF Abu Dhabi uh, World World Class World, World Cup. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I went there. So I, would, I had won the European section to go out there and represent Europe as the 205. So I went out there. It was it was an experience. Weather played a huge part in it. And I made a mistake in, in the weight class above. So I, I didn't... What I didn't want to do was wake up while having like a six-hour flight. Mm-hmm. Um, and the weather... So I was like, right, I'll win a wee bit heavier. So I went in a wee bit heavier and I was in the top weight class and I was in with these big, massive... <laughs> I had one point I had a guy lying on top of me uh, and I couldn't scream. Every time I screamed, I got a bit of his titty in my mouth. He was just that <laughs> big. His gi wouldn't close. He had a belt. So that was a bit of a shock being, because I'd only been maybe a uh, purple belt for maybe about six months and it was a that was a big ask. Um, unfortunately, I didn't win, but I, I, done a, I competed very well and I was proud of where I got to for being a purple belt just out the door, basically, uh, six six months. With regards to my purple belt, I'd spoke about that with my, uh, my coach, my jiu-jitsu coach, my MMA coach. Um, he wanted me to stay... He wanted me... My, my, my coach, my jiu-jitsu coach, wants me to focus on jiu-jitsu. And my MMA coach wants me to focus on MMA. Can I do both of them? So <laughs> uh, we decided to go down the MMA route because we were getting success with it. So that's how we managed to get the... Brown and it's, it's finding time to do jiu-jitsu um, comps because I, I know I think I'll need to get permission or this kind of stuff in case I get injured. So I've, I've not been able to compete. Well, well, 
Well, that certainly is good that you were able to do both. And, and I just wanted to move it back to, to something you said just a second ago that you were really worried about a weight cut when you had to travel for like six hours or so. Now, that's something yep. you're going to have to do in competing in Sacramento. You're going to have to go through a weight cut and travel, you know, almost halfway across the world. Is this something where you're looking for a, a U.S. camp where you can, you know, spend some time training so you don't have that big travel right before the weight cut happens? Well, this year I had me travelling for the jiu-jitsu comp was um, due to the fact being a teacher, I don't get holidays other than the summer holidays and this was out with the summer holidays. So I had pretty much three days where I had to fly, get out there, compete and get back within three days to my 